Thank you, Krista. That's a blessing. That's great. All right. Well, let's see. We started um, the field trip with David, David in the Bible, with a, um, <laughs> yeah, we started field trip with David in the Bible with an illustration of which, which one person missed. So we'll tell it again in, his, in a compact version, and then I'll give you another illustration to tie that in. The day that we started talking about David, and I said, why would, you, why would you be in the middle of a series with the Ten Commandments, okay? And why would you take a, a field trip and go talk about David and his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah and all of that? And we talked about the fact that Matt Chandler was making an illustration. We said, you know, parents who love their kids... They, they tell them not to play in traffic. And so if, if they see their kids out in traffic, they go to the little child, they pull them inside and say, now listen, does daddy love you? Yes, daddy loves you. Does daddy like to have fun and play? Yes, yes, daddy likes to you know, have fun and play. He says, okay, don't play in the road. Don't play in the road. And if your son says, if the child says, but daddy, why, why shouldn't I play in the road? Matt Chandler said, you point to the dead squirrel and you say, that's why. That's why. Now, again, at least one person didn't get that connection. And I said that day, I want David to be our dead squirrel. I want to look at the life of David, and like we're looking at that squirrel, and that squirrel didn't know a very good life. Have you noticed how dumb squirrels are when they cross the road? They cannot make up their mind. And I'm one of those guys that actually stop. And I'm just amazed going, would you please decide which way you want to go? You know, and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Trying to decide if they're going to get run over or not, you know. And, and I wanted David to be our dead squirrel guy. I wanted to look and say, okay, this is what happens to people who play in traffic. This is what happens to people who stay in Jerusalem when they're supposed to be on the battlefield. This is what happens to guys in their 50s if they don't pay attention to what's going on in their lives. This is what happens to people who don't guard their heart because out of it comes the issues of life. Uh, this is what happens to people who in Psalm 139 where, you know, search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. When we don't do that, we end up like a dead squirrel in the road. We end up like David, a, a man for God's own heart, trying to explain to people and his sons and his daughters why we messed up. That's why it happens. So now let's fast forward uh, a long way and now another true story. And this is now probably a, probably a 10-year-old story, but it is true. Um, Braxton is, is Rhonda Yule's grandson. And Rhonda has a pool in her backyard. And a, a toad frog, a frog, had got into the skimmer, okay, and drowned. Okay, so Braxton goes over to the skimmer and finds this frog. And the frog is obviously bloated dead. I mean, dead as a doornail. And so Braxton takes this frog out of the skimmer and lays it on the concrete and says, I don't remember if he calls her Meemaw, Nana, 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 the frog is dead. Can we pray for the frog? Braxton, the frog is dead. Well, can we pray that God would bring the frog back to life? Okay. And Nana didn't want to say like, well, no. (laughs) So they had a prayer meeting for the frog. Okay. This is a true story. And so they came back like in about 45 minutes, okay, like, and it went back, and there the frog sits on all four going, just telling you, 
The frog that was dead came back to life, okay? Now, you can take that for what it's worth, department. I tell you what I'm going to take from Personally, by the way, I believe it happened. Do you believe that story? Absolutely, 100%. I mean, I think our God can do anything. And if he would teach a lesson about prayer to a little boy, I think that frog came back to life. I'm just telling you that's what I believe. But here's what I want you to get is, is that God, because he's wonderful, has the power to take a squirrel dead in the road and bring him back to life again. I am very glad to report to you today that with believers, the end is not the end. Um, I'm hoping you're slowly memorizing Psalm 37, 23, and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and God delights in his way. And if he fall, I love this part, if he fall, he will not be utterly cast down. The end is not end. Failure is not final. He will not be utterly cast down because God will uphold him with his strong arm. God has the ability to take dead squirrels and bring them back to life. And God can take the failures. And by the way, the whole Bible is a book of failures, of broken people. Have you noticed that? There are very few really superheroes in the Bible. There's a lot of people who do wrong. There's a lot of people who fail miserably like us, okay? And then they experience God's grace and God does incredibly good things. And that's awesome. And so with David, you know, we started, I want David to be our dead squirrel, but I also want want David to be our resurrected frog. Does this make any sense whatsoever? You know, we started out with, you know, the, the sin... Bathsheba, Uriah, the mess, the cover-up. We talked about the chastening power of God, and, and that was a heavy sermon last week. It really was about how God, no doubt, chastened David, perhaps to the point of even allowing him to be physically ill, perhaps even with leprosy, um, just possibly. And then Mary said that was a fire and brimstone, real close to fire and brimstone this morning. I was going, oh, really? Didn't really realize that. But we talked about David's great homecoming, how important that was. How do you come home after the storm? And it begins by just being humble before God and appealing to his mercy and his love and his compassion. That's, That's how it begins. Appealing for his grace, saying, God, I know what I deserve. Okay, I know what I did. It was sin. I know what I deserve. And that's, you know, your discipline, your punishment. I'm appealing to your grace. And, uh, and David did that. And, and what I, I just felt like we almost had to do this, knowing we probably did this about eight or nine months ago, we could not end this part of this without Psalm 32. We just couldn't. Because we ended this morning in verse 13 saying, David saying to God, you know, if you'll do all this, if you'll forgive me as I appeal to your love and your compassion and all that, if you'll do this, then I will teach transgressors your way. Then I will teach sinners your way. And Psalm, every theologian agrees. Psalm 32 is David's fulfillment of that promise. And I just felt like we could not move on uh, even further until we address Psalm 32 one more time. So if you'll take your Bibles and look there, and again, if you've written your Bible what date the preacher preaches, then you might see, I think it's probably eight or nine uh, months ago. I know when we were going through Psalms, we did that on Wednesday night. I'm sure we touched on it then. It's just a very powerful section of scriptures. When you combine 2 Samuel, Psalm 51, excuse me, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, and Psalm 32, it's a powerful collection of scriptures for sure, for sure. So again, this is written now. This is David speaking. He's, he's had the sin with Bathsheba. Nathan's confronted him. He's had that nine long months of drought in his life. And he's confessed his sin in Psalm 51. And now he speaks publicly about his sin. 
and that's where we launch. The Bible says in Psalm 32.1, and this is the Holman Christian Standard, your, your New King James, your King James, are probably going to use the word blessed, and that is a great word. The Holman Christian Standard chooses how joyful, how joyful. One commentary I read today said you, a good translation would be how abundantly, richly blessed. Because the word, again, we don't see this in the English language, but the word there, blessed, or as translated, happy or joyful, is is in the plural form. And in the Hebrew, that greatly intensifies the meaning. Meaning, hence, how abundantly, how richly, how blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. So it's just wonderful. It's powerful, this wonderful thing. David, David, the, the person who was aching in his body with, with his head, the great sores on his body, who, whose spirit was groaning, is now back to being the song leader. He's saying, how joyful is the one whose transgression. And that word transgression means one who willfully walks away from God. When David was on that roof, he was faced with a choice. And you've been faced with a choice, and I've been faced with a choice. And that choice was, there she is, and she's bathing. What am I going to do with that? Was he going to go back in and watch ESPN, or was he going to sin? And David willfully chose to sin. He brought, even after he found out Bathsheba was married, he brought her in and committed adultery with her. He willfully chose. So he was saying how, how powerful, how great, how abundant it is, the one who's, who's walked away from God and that person is forgiven. How beautiful is that? You know, I did this morning, when I talked about the judgment seat of Christ, I talked about the fact that, you know, God again, please understand, I want to make this so clear that when we are saved, the penalty and punishment for our sin is gone forever. But there is that time of accountability. And that should weigh on our brains. You need to file that away, that one day there will be an accountability period. But the penalty and punishment for our sin is gone forever. It was done by, on the cross by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the commentaries kind of did a list of scriptures. Let me read them to you real quick. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 118, we read this one this morning. Come, let us discuss this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Isaiah 38, 17. Indeed, it was for my own welfare that I had such great bitterness. But your love has delivered me from the pit of desolation. For you, for you have thrown all your sins behind your back. I like that one. That's a good one. Isaiah 43, 25. It is I who sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. Micah 7, 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And of course, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad tonight that the penalty and punishment of our sin is gone? Every Now, you've got to understand this. The day you were saved, the day you were saved, the penalty and punishment for your sin, what for past, present, and future, what was accomplished, was accomplished. It is done. It is done. But there will be a time of accounting on our lives and what we do with our lives. And that is so huge. And someone says, well, what will the judgment seat of Christ be like? 
You know, again, you must not think of the judgment. And by the way, this is the ne- I got to be careful because the next series we're going into is called the four judgments. And we're going to look at the four judgments in the Bible. And if I say too much to, tonight, there won't be a whole lot to say that day about the judgment seat of Christ. Um, but you must not think of Jesus as berating. You must not think of Jesus as condemning because that will not be the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ. We will give an account for the purpose of reward, not punishment. We will give an account for the purpose of reward and not for punishment. And I'm really not sure what it's going to look like, but here's what came to my mind. Here's what came to my mind. This is the um, incident where Peter denies Jesus. Just, just listen to this. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Always a bad idea. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat with them. Never a good idea. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I know not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while he was speaking still, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. I'm not sure there's going to be a whole lot of words necessary at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't think they're going to be necessary. I think probably the look of Christ will say a whole lot that day. And then you might say, well, Dwayne, I thought there were no tears in heaven. Well, once again, if you're, if a, if you're a premillennialist and a pre-tribber, then, then you, you, whether you know it or not, you believe that this judgment seat of Christ is probably going to take place during the seven years of tribulation. While, while there's judgment going on the earth, there's going to be judgment going on in heaven, our judgment for our rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. And not until the end, not until Revelation 2021, does the Bible say, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So there may well be tears in heaven up until that point. Again, I think probably as, as we give an account of our lives for how we live, for the sake of reward, and there's so little to be rewarded, I think there will be some tears in heaven. So I said all that to say this, is that I'm so grateful that our sins are cast by his act, that they're falling into the sea, and that there'll be no punishment, there'll be no penalty, but there is accountability for my life. And we need to remember that. Next time we want to get angry, bitter, jealous, unforgiving, adultery, drunk, drugs, out of church, in a church, misplaced priorities, just remember, as a believer in Jesus Christ, whose penalty and punishment is taken care of, the Savior you love, one day you will stand before Him and give an account of your deeds. And Paul clearly says, good or bad. Good or bad. Well, that Sunday on the, on the judgment seat of Christ, you can skip. But here's what I'm glad. Dave asked me if we were singing. I was singing. I said, no, but I'm reading. <laughs> I thought it was a little funny. I don't know. In loving kindness, Jesus came, my soul in mercy to reclaim. And from the depths of sin and shame, through grace, He lifted me. From sinking sand, He lifted me. With tender hand, He lifted me. From shades of night to plains of light, oh, praise His name, 
He lifted me. He called me long before I heard, before my sinful heart was stirred. But when I took Him at His word, forgiven, He lifted me. From sinking sand He lifted me, with tender hand He lifted me. From shades of night to plains of light, oh, praise His name, He lifted me. And I believe David would join that song and say, oh, praise His name, He lifted me. Amen? So, so here's the man, here's the man who was guilty of all of that, but he now says, how joyful, how abundantly joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And the imagery here is beautiful. It speaks of the day of atonement when the priest would go out, the high priest would go out and he would slaughter the lamb. He would take that blood in through the holies and into the holy of holies and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. As that blood covered the mercy seat, it's the imagery here that we have of David, whose sin is covered. How joyful, he says in verse 2, is the man that the Lord does not charge with sin and whose spirit is no deceit. Aren't you glad that God doesn't charge you with your sin? Amen? And, and listen, how joyful is the man whose spirit is no deceit? Now, now why is that important? For at least nine months, probably 11 months, David's spirit was one of deceit. He covered up, he controlled, and he hid. He covered up, he controlled, and he hid. He was determined to control the outcome. And so he lived this 11 months separated from God in fellowship. And became that groaner and not the crooner. Lost his passion to worship. Lost his joy. Lost really everything that mattered to him. That's why this is important. He said, God, if I learned anything from this, you don't want deceit in my life. Listen, God can handle your authenticity. He hates our plasticity. And that is a word I just made up. It means to be plastic. God so craves for us to be real with Him. I don't know how many people I've told... Go ahead and tell God you're mad at him. They've lost a loved one. Tell him he can handle it. He's got broad shoulders. Just be real with God. Your prayer time will come alive when you're real with the Father in your prayer closet. So be real with him. It's, he says how, how joyful it is when God doesn't charge sin and how much joyful is there. You understand how such hard work it is to be fake? You got to be careful. What if someone finds out? What if someone sees? What if someone knows? What if? What if? What if? What if? And when you, when you decide to be authentic and real, you disarm Satan's weapon. No longer do you have to fear because you're authentic, you're real. Again, the Bible doesn't call, I don't think, it call, obviously it doesn't call us to be perfect, but I don't think it really calls us to be real, to be authentic. And that disarms Satan with his primary bullet of the what if button, the what if button, the what if button. So he says, I'm joyful when I have a spirit of whom there is no deceit. And then verse 3 and 4 we covered last week, but we must touch it, at least touch it tonight. When I kept silent, and you know what that means, those 11 months of time when there was no worship going on in David's life, there was no fellowship going on in David's life. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groanings all day long. He went from being a man of joy to being a man of groaning. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. And you remember what I said last week? I thought it was very significant. Not because I said because of the truth. Again, God's love is relentless. 
Why was God's hand heavy on David? To punish him? To hurt him? To bring him home. He loved this man. He loved this man enough to put his hand heavy upon him day and night. I thank God for the relentlessness of God's love. Even sometimes when it hurts, I am grateful that he loves. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained as in the heat of summer. As you've just been out working and slowly you become dehydrated and your, your strength is simply zapped away. That's how David felt. Then, he said, and if you're, a, if you're a word circler in your Bible, you circle then. Because it's a direct contrast to verse 3 and verse 5. It's a direct contrast. You know, I was like this. I, when I kept silent, I, my bones became brittle. My groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. All this was going on. I felt like I was in summer's heat. Then, it's pivotal. Three things he says. I acknowledged my sin to you. Remember that from Psalm 51. I did not conceal my iniquity. The word conceal there, uh, not did not conceal, the negative form of that is, means to drag it in the open. And sometimes, by the way, have you noticed this? You've got to kick your, skin, your sin, um, kicking and screaming into the open. But David says, when he says, I did not conceal, I drugged this mess, my foolishness that I had created. And again, whatever your foolishness looks like, he said, I drugged this out into the open, God. Of course, God could see it, but so God that you could see it. I was tired of hiding it, so I became transparent. I opened it up. Kicking and screaming, I drug it out unto the open, he says. I, I did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess. So you see the three there? I acknowledge, I did not conceal, I confess. I confess my transgressions to you, Lord, and you took away the guilt of my sin. Now, do you see that? Number one, I confessed. Two, you took away. And balled up in that confession is what? Repentance. Repentance. Okay, again, I just need to be honest with you. If none of it's, if it's fire and brimstone, Mary, it's fire and brimstone. This idea, this concept of getting on your face before God and saying, Hey, God, it's me again. I'm sorry. Next day, hey, God, it's me. I'm sorry. Hey, God, it's me. I'm sorry. This idea of re- repeating, of, of I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're missing something. It's called repentance. The early church knew this. The, 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 the reformists knew this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a reformist, but they, under, they started understanding repentance. Repentance. And we've got to get back to there. It's just not, again, it's not biblical to just go to God every day and say, I said it yesterday, I'll say it again and again and again. No. I'm not sure what you call that, but it's not biblical. The idea is going before God, say, God, God I have sinned, I am sorry, and I turn from that sin. And at least that means, at least that means the concept of, when I get up from my knees, my intention is to never do it again. Amen. Never do it. Again, it's powerful. It's powerful. It's powerful. It, when, we, when we confess with that, he does what? He takes away the guilt. When we confess, the lights come back on. When we confess, the spring starts bubbling water again. When we confess, the heat of summer is gone. When we confess, the illness leaves if it involves an illness. That's caused by discipline of God. That changes something. That changes something. And then he says it. Therefore, David says... Let everyone who is faithful, let everyone, he had not been faithful. 
but he was now. Let everyone who is faithful pray to you at a time that you may be found. What's the answer? Prayer. If you haven't seen the war room, you ought to go see it. Let me try again. If you have, y'all who have seen it, you need to say amen there. If you haven't seen War Room, you need to go see it. Now, it is a movie, but the truth is reality. The truth is reality. You know, I'm not sure if this ties in or not. I'm going to throw it out there to you anyway. It's James chapter 5, because I think there's some things about prayer in there we need to see, where he says, Therefore, let everyone who's faithful pray to you at a time when you may be found. Here's what James says. Is anyone among you suffering? What, what, what should we do? Let him pray. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone sick? Let him call the elders of the church. Now watch what's rolled into this. And again, we'll teach this sometime. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save. That's an interesting word. Will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And, notice what's tied in here, and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. So if you're broken, we need to call the elders. Yeah, it's in the Bible. We need to call the elders in physical ailment, but we might well need to call the elders in spiritual sin and, and ask for prayer. And then he, then he says that crazy verse that we pretend is not there. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another, what? That you may be healed. How about that? That you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. So, so whether it's physical in this sense or if it's spiritual illness, if it's spiritual illness, call the elders to pray. Pray yourself. Call on the name of the Lord while he is nearer. While he's working. And then he says, when, you're great, when the great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. That, and the great floodwaters, according to the commentary, is that, is that imagery of God's chastening hand. They will not reach him. And then David says, you know, God, you're my hiding place. Isn't it funny? Have you ever thought about this? And again, the commentary said, and I'm trusting the commentary on this one. You know, the commentary said he's talking about God's chastening power. And the one who was chastening was still his hiding place. I think it's the imagery of God's love again. God doesn't, doesn't discipline us to punish us. He disciplines us because He loves us and wants us out of that mess we're in. He wants to give us a reason to come home. You're my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with shouts, joyful shouts of deliverance. Wasn't all that way, was it? But it is now. It's back. The song leader is leading worship again. The song writer is writing songs again. The joy of his salvation has been restored. And it's because he became honest with God. And when he got honest with God, God extended grace. God extended grace. And then, then God says, well, I will instruct you <laughs> and show you the way. With my eye on you, I will give you counsel. God loves us. He said, I want you to be successful in spiritual things. I want you to be Successful. Jesus said in John 14, 26, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. In the midst of this, coming out of this, God says, just remember, David, listen, listen, I will instruct you, and I will show you the way to go. I'll have my eye on you, and I will give you counsel. 
Because I didn't come for you to fail. I came for you to succeed. I didn't come for you to be miserable. I came for you to be joyful. I didn't come for you to be burdened. I came to set you free. Amen? Don't forget these wonderful truths. That's what God has done for us. And then he says this. He says, don't be like a horse or a mule. I thought it was interesting. One of the commentaries threw this idea out. You know, David got on his horse. Imagery, imagery, metaphor, metaphor. He got on his horse and ran towards sin. Rode that horse. Get up, boy. Boom, 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 boom. Towards sin. But when time to come home, he was like a stubborn old mule. Isn't it funny how fast we... Isn't it funny how fast we gallop towards sin and how slow and stubborn we are to repentance? Isn't that the truth? And God says, don't be like a horse or a mule. Don't gallop towards sin and don't be stubborn coming home. He says this, that these horses and mules have to be like a, a one has to be controlled with a bit or brittle, a bridle, or else they won't come near you. And then David closes with this like amen moment. He says, many pains come to the wicked. And what I wrote in my little note sheet was, let me tell you about it. And he did. He could tell you, many pains come to the wicked. The cool part is, in the era that David lived in, David had the common sense to recognize it. Often, I don't think we do. I am so fearful. There are two things that worry your pastor. One is... I'm so fearful that a lot of people who prayed a prayer some time ago and there's no change in their life are counting on that prayer to get them to heaven and they're going to be sorely disappointed. That concerns me. Uh, salvation with no change. Salvation with no change. That concerns me. But it also concerns me that we become so comfortable with sin that we don't sense the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and the need to repent. I'm so afraid that the new norm is, I'm miserable, leave me alone. I don't know what the abundant life is supposed to look like, but I'm miserable, you know, this is what it is. This is what Christianity is to me. No! No! Christ, you know, Christianity is, you know, a relationship with Jesus is all about joy. Not prosperity, joy. But he said, I can tell you. I can tell you how the many pains come to the wicked because I was wicked and a lot of pain came my way. But the one, here's the flip side of the coin. But the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. You remember from this morning? He appealed to his steadfast love. The one, the one who trusts in the Lord, the one who comes home, will find the Father with his arms open saying, Welcome. Again, not a hit, but a hug. Not a hit, but a hug. Not punishment, but peace. But peace. Verse 11. Be glad in the Lord. And this, you know what's so awesome about this? This was the guy who was miserable. This is the guy whose hand, God's hand was heavy upon him. This is one who had sores. His loved ones stayed far away from him. No one wanted to be around David. No one. His fan club was small. The same guy. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, 
all you upright in heart. What made the difference? Forgiveness, repentance, confession, dragging it out in the open before God and saying, God, this is my foolishness. And when we'll drag it out before God and say, God, no lame excuses, no nothing. This is my foolishness. This is sin. I've sinned against you. I confess that to you and I turn from it. The joy comes back. The joy comes back. So as we conclude this section, this section, let David be the dead squirrel. Let him get your attention. You know, again, I think it's kind of funny. I haven't been called a fire and burn some preacher in a long time. You know, if, if let, that, let that dead squirrel, let the harsh, hard truth of God's word hit you in the heart over the last few weeks. Don't let it go. But don't lose sight of the resurrected frog either. Don't stay dead in the road. Let God's grace resurrect you and restore your joy. Okay, let's pray. We have a time of decision. We do this every service. It's a good thing to do. I don't know if you want to come to the altar tonight or not. I don't know if you need to. You can certainly make an altar right there where you are. But you know, as we conclude this, what are we going to do with this truth? You know, what, what do we do when a pastor, Dwayne, Brent, David, Ron, just a, Jeremy sometimes speaks... Tim Sadler, what does it mean when at least, oh, 45 times a year, some preacher stands in our pulpit and preaches some kind of form of the Word of God and we do so little with it? Now, you need to ask yourself that. You need to ask yourself, has my heart become hard toward the Word of God, the truth? Am I dead in the road and I don't know it? Let me put it out there for you. Am I the dead squirrel? Am I dead in the road? And I'm doing nothing with it. If that's the case, ask God. God, just restore the joy. Create a right, clean heart again in me. Restore the joy of my salvation. When we were lost, the Bible says we were dead in trespasses and sin. But He resurrected us. He made us alive. So take this home tonight. Let it, let it settle in your heart. And let it, the truth change us. Change us. God, you know, I hope you know, what a privilege it is, Father, to, to speak about your word and to preach your word. And as I look at this story, I am so grateful you put it in the Bible for people like me. And people like the folks sitting in this room tonight. God, there are no one, there's no one perfect. No one. We are seen perfect by your grace positionally. But practically, the truth is, well, we have a problem. But then, God, your grace is there. Help us never to be content with unconfessed, unrepented sin in our lives. May we make sure we keep our, lens, our sin list short. Deal with us, Father, that our soul and spirit may be alive again. 
that our joy, Father, might splash over onto others around us. May our joy splash on others around us. And I want to thank you that that, Father, is something that you want to do in our lives. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.